In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel is a striking passage from the Gospel of Saint Luke, telling us about an occasion which our Lord is speaking in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, is teaching, and a woman appears who for 18 years had been possessed by a spirit that left her enfeebled. She was bent, doubled, and quite unable to stand up right. So she was sort of bent over, looking down into the ground, And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are rid of your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And at once she straightened up and she glorified God. She straightened up. We know that some of the Pharisees became quite indignant. The synagogue official became indignant. got all upset because our Lord did this on the Sabbath. But let us us focus more on this woman and her state as we do our prayer here now in front of that very same Lord present now here hidden in the tabernacle. She was hunched over. St. Luke got the information that she had been like that for 18 years. Maybe he spoke to her or spoke to somebody who knew her. 18 years, it's a long time. But she was doubled over. Maybe she was just very depressed and always looking down, but probably there was was a very serious spinal problem there. Her back was curved. Her neck was bent. And of course, if you're like that, in that kind of state, you can't, you can't see very far. She had a literally earthbound view of everything. All she could really see was the dirt as you're, as you're kind of bent over. And that meant she couldn't see the faces of people. She had a hard time seeing the beauty of nature around, him, around her. But even just the faces of those around. She saw feet rummaging around in the dirt. But for her to see Jesus, well, she would have to look up, but she couldn't do that. We don't know exactly what the actual medical problem was, but it seemed quite, quite debilitating. And, of course, that meant that she, if she was always looking down and earthbound view at everything. She, well, she relied on others to say, well, to tell her what was going on and, and, um, and here in this passage, it seems like it's Jesus himself who has the initiative. 
Jesus saw her and he called her over. Woman, you're rid of your infirmity. It's one of the characteristics of all the miracles of Jesus. They're not, they're almost never progressive. They, they never, he never heals people like bit by bit, but they're always like instantaneous, bang. That's the characteristic of divine miracles. I mean, you could, you could always heal somebody by medical ways, give them medication, give that person some kind of treatment and they get healed. Yeah, but you, nobody can do it instantaneously. That's the characteristic of a miracle of Jesus. Maybe if we had had this woman today, we would have maybe given her a special brace or some kind of operation, and maybe we could have healed her. But it probably would have taken months and weeks and who knows how much time. So there she was. She couldn't even see him. She had literally a virtual image of him because it was based on what other people had told her. I can imagine she might have stayed at home. She was unable to make it out too much, like, well, like many people these days. 18 years. Why does he mention 18 years? Well, he's a medical doctor and he knows that certain conditions are chronic. When something is chronic, you need to, all you can do is just do certain exercises to mitigate the pain. But it's always there, it's chronic. It's, it just won't change. If you have chronic back problems, well, you can alleviate a little bit, but it's just always gonna be there. And for him, 18 years is pretty, pretty chronic. So if it's chronic, there's just no way it's gonna get alleviated. At least that's what it seems like. And so as we, as we transpose this image of this woman doubled over, probably quite sad, probably quite depressed, always looking at the ground, never really able to look up, Maybe we can take advantage of this image to make an aspiration to our Lord. When we get a little bit in a bad mood, when we get down and we see everything through a very human perspective, an earthbound perspective, we can, we can make our own what might have been the words of this woman, although they're not recorded as such, but we can say, when I'm in a bad mood, when I'm down, when I'm anxious, anxiety is set in, worry, frustration. Straighten me up, Lord. Straighten me up. That's, that's a good aspiration right there. So you come into the order, you look, you say, straighten me up. Right now, I'm in a foul mood. And then you go, oh, I'm straightened up. Okay, I'm in a good mood now. I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. Lord, straighten me up during this meditation. Maybe you came in here kind of with your head down like this woman. Maybe this is a time in your life with all the things going on. We constantly hear this in the media. This, this is a difficult time. There's lots of suffering. and I, I don't want to minimize that, but... Uh, but it could be that we're just overly focused on the dirt at our feet. 
that I kept my eyes too low to the ground, in the dirt, I've been bent over, crooked, contorted, not standing up with confidence. And after all, remember that the, the phrase that is used, the image or the phrase that is used to refer to heaven is not that, we are, we are not told, you will go to heaven. That's not, that's not the expression that is used in Scripture. The expression that is used is, you will see God face to face. Face to face. Well, to, be, to see somebody face to face, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta stand up straight and look. And of course, if you stand up straight, you know, like Jordan Peter says, with your, you know, put your shoulders back and get your back up straight. Don't be hunched over like, oh, you know, what does he say? Put your shoulders back. Look forward, go. Forward. Shouldn't walk around all glum and uh, poor me and I'm a victim. And... As though you've just rolled out of bed. For us to be able to look straight ahead, I would say that one thing we need, especially these days, is a form of optimism that is characterized by what we might call the dreams of youth. The dreams of youth. Pope Francis has often spoken to young people about dreaming. I mean, dreaming can be taken in a negative sense, you know, to be in the clouds, you know, you're dreaming, you're not in reality, I suppose. But he says this, he said this, Actually, when he went to Macedonia uh, back in 2019, so last year, last May, he said, speaking to young people, let me tell you that one can never dream too much. One can never dream too much. One of the big problems people have today, including so many young people, is that they have lost their ability to dream. They don't dream either much or little. When somebody, when someone does not dream, when a young person does not dream, that empty space gets filled with complaints and a sense of hopelessness. We have to, we have to dream. You know, when you hear people say, well, I'm just like this, I can't change, it's just I'm dyed in the wool. Uh, it's genetic. It's genetic. My bad mood is just genetic. I'm, I've always been like this. My inability to focus is just genetic. It's just like I just like came out of the womb like that. That's the way I am. I mean, that's it's pretty hopeless. And then he referred to um, Mother Teresa because he was in, in Skopje, in northern Macedonia, and she's from there, right? She's from Macedonia. I thought she was from Albania, but anyway, but, but well, maybe she is from Albania, but uh, in any case, there were Albanians there, and he mentioned her, and I, when I think of uh, Mother Teresa, 
I think of somebody, a woman that is bent over, like that woman in the gospel. It reminds me that when I was in Rome, I had, the, I had just been ordained, September of 95, and then two weeks later, I was in the Synod of Bishops as a translator for the religious. It was a synod on the religious. And, I mean, I, I, I barely, you know, I was just barely a priest. I mean, it was only two weeks of priests. I didn't even know what to do or what to say. or had no clue. And, um, and at one point in the synod, I would translate a simultaneous translation. And then there was, of course, the always awaited lunch break. Mm-hmm. And we had the lunch break, and we said, okay, guys, lunch, and the Pope went out, and everybody applauded as he went out. He said the angels, and everybody applauded, and he went out, and, you know, he went. And the bishops were all standing there, and, eh. and then everybody said, okay, he's gone, okay, now we can go too. And there was a hallway where you could go, and then at the end of the hallway, there was a, a staircase, but that was only wide enough for one person. So we were all waiting, waiting, waiting for all these bishops to lumber down this staircase. And uh, I was waiting, as I was not a, I was just a recently ordained priest. I was just one of the translators. I had no real importance, obviously, in that synod. And I'm waiting, and there was like, a, the, the staircase had gotten like clogged up, right? And uh, so we were just waiting, you know, kind of looking up, and when's the next guy? Come on, man, let's go. We've got to go for lunch. We're going to miss our, our, our bus or whatever. So I'm kind of like impatiently saying, what's going on there? There's a traffic jam up ahead. I turn around, and I look behind me. I see more bishops like also kind of looking what's going on. You know? I mean, they weren't honking because they were just standing there, but... Uh, And then, lo and behold, right behind me, like literally inches behind me, which I didn't notice before, was Mother Teresa. There she was. And she was hunched over like that, holding on uh, this old macrame uh, purse that looked like it was like 100 years old. And, uh, And I said, oh, Mother Teresa, how are you? She says, I'm fine, I'm fine, thank you very much. And uh, so I said, oh, I gotta take advantage. I gotta talk to her. So I said, well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is uh, now Father Eric. <laughs> it was only recent, I was still not used to you know, referring to myself like that, obviously. And I said, I'd just been ordained two weeks ago and uh, I don't know what I said, but something that hopefully made some modicum of sense. And uh, so I, the only thing I could think of was I pulled out one of those uh, souvenir cards, you know, of my ordination with a little image of the Holy Family. And my name was on the back and whatever it said, ordained uh, September 15th, 1994, etc. And she took it and she looked at the image of the Holy Family. And now she, remember, she had been crouched down like like the lady in the gospel. Now she stood up or, or, or stood straight and kissed that image like I've never seen somebody kiss an image. She just... <laughs> she said, thank you very, very, very much. And she put it in this, this ratty old purse of hers. She put it in there. She said, 
I will pray for you, I will pray for you, she said. And of course, suddenly I, I realized that the, uh, the traffic jam had gone completely empty. There was tons of space now for me to go. And I had to go. I had to move down the, down the staircase. And you could sense right away that this was a woman that knew how to dream. And that's what the Holy Father said, Pope Francis said in June, in, excuse me, in May of, of 2019, he said, she dreamed in a big way. And this is why she also loved in a big way. She had never, she had, excuse me, she had her feet firmly planted here in her native land, but she didn't stand still. She wanted to be a pencil in the hands of God. That was the expression she used. I want to be a pencil in the hands of God. This was the dream she crafted. She offered it to God. She believed in it. She suffered for it. And she never gave it up. And God began to write new and amazing pages of history with that pencil. She was a crouched over lady, but the Lord made beautiful pages with that pencil. Do I want to be a pencil in the hands of God? What am I writing now with my life, with my studies, with the way I nurture and develop my relations, my relationships? What, am I, what relationships am I writing about now with my life? I don't mean writing as in writing a diary. You can be writing a diary and you can say, oh, I met so-and-so, I did this with so-and-so, and, and you're writing, yes. But I'm talking about writing with your life, with the history of your life. What kind of pencil am I? Am I sharp and neat and clear? With knowledge of myself? Humble? I mean, a pencil, you know, a pencil... I don't know what they cost, but they're cheap. You know, pencils are, they're not these super nice, you know, you know, fountain pens uh, with, uh, you know, the Mont Blanc fountain pens that cost 70 bucks. They're just a pencil. We don't make a monument to, to the pencil. But yes, we make a monument to the, to the, to the work that was written with it. When St. Thomas More, when he was in the cell in the London Tower, they didn't, they didn't even give him anything to write with. But somehow they smuggled some paper in and a, and a small little pencil so that he could write. And that's where he wrote The Sadness of Christ, as I understand. Just with smuggled paper and a tiny pencil. It's, it's a beautiful masterpiece. That's what happens. An author, when he has to write, he, he sits down, he thinks of a story. I don't know how, how they do that, but they, they, I guess they have to articulate uh, characters, uh, the plot, the twist at the end, uh, you know, and, uh, and it's his, his purpose to imagine it all. 
And that story that he creates will be then later on turned around in people's heads as they read about it. Maybe if it's a very good novel, they can make an amazing movie out of it, a Broadway musical. Somebody has to first write the story. Then it's made maybe into a script. And that's why Pope Francis has insisted about this, this good kind of dream. That's like writing the story, dreaming about your life. Not a bad dream that only we live in our own, on our own, in our bed, all alone. It's a dream about corresponding ultimately to what God has envisioned for us. That's what a dream really is about. It's not just we, our own dream. We are not just the writers. We, we are the pencil. We are the pencil. God is ultimately the one who's dreaming about us. This is what the Pope said. He said, let us not allow ourselves to be robbed of our dreams. Let us not deprive ourselves of the newness that the Lord wants to give us. You will encounter many, many unexpected twists and turns in life. But it is important to face them and find creative ways of turning them into opportunities. But never alone. No one can fight alone. How important it is to dream together. Just as you are doing today. Everyone together, here, in one place, without barriers. Please, he said, dream together, not by yourselves. Dream with others and never against others. By yourselves, you risk seeing mirages, seeing things that are not there. Dreams, he said, are built together. Lord, I don't want to see a, a mirage. I want to see a dream that you forged for me. I'm the pencil to write it. Together with others. Together with my relationships, with my family, my siblings, my parents. And it's sad to consider that there is, I'm told, quite an epidemic now of loneliness out there. Many reasons perhaps explain it. Uh, there's always been loneliness in the world. And people have suffered it at different times. Now it's taken on a new color with, with social media. Part of the culprit is social media. But one of the reasons people feel lonely is because maybe they never really have been treated with special affection, special attention when they were very, very small. It's like, could be one of the reasons. And it's like a cloud. Loneliness is like a cloud that, that is cast over our spiritual life. For some, it even leads to a, a great difficulty to pray because they feel kind of cut off from God's love. They haven't been able to tap into that affection that God has for us. As though we slip into this myth that all we can do is just look at the dirt below. We can't look up. 
Our back is crooked, is deformed, we can't look up. We are twisted, we are unlovable, and we can't be straightened. That's the myth that we tell ourselves. Well, today, in this prayer, the Lord tells us, dream, and your dreams will fall short. This dream, this woman, rather, began to dream when she heard our Lord's voice. He is the one who invited her over. She heard his tone of voice. She heard him saying, I have a plan for you. I have a dream for you. It doesn't say that she's a widow, but let's say if she was a widow, he might have said, you're a widow, but you may be suffering. But this still falls within the realm of providence. I have something, I have a dream for you. If we could replace the word providence with the word dream, it, it would kind of maybe open up horizons. So, let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. She'll help us to tap into this beautiful dream that God has in store for us. And we can say that aspiration. Lord, straighten me up so that I can look upon your face and see you, your love towards me, your affection, your goodness, and look upon those eyes of love. And immediately, any sign, any whiff of loneliness will like disintegrate. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us so we straighten, straighten up and look at our Lord face to face. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.